This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Double Tap Canada, the show where blind people talk tech. Have your say. Call us, text us to 844-971-1999. That's 844-971-1999. Tweet us at Double Tap Canada and find us on Facebook. Just search for Double Tap Canada. Now here's your favorite Double Tappers. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Double Tap Canada. It is I, Stephen Scott, back with you here once again. We've got Mark Afalalalalo back with us. Hello, hello Mark. Mark. Oh, I've missed you, Mark. Hang I on, missed sorry. you more, Sean. Hang sorry. on, Sean, please be, be careful here because he's just up, right? He's walking up the house. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I uh, forgot. Yeah, time zones. Good morning. Good morning oh, to you. Sounds like a smart speaker. <laughs> Mark, Thank can you, you imagine? Summon Afalalo. Afalalo, what is the time? <laughs> uh, the time for me is 8.05 a.m. That's not, that's not used to me. I need UK time. You're useless, yeah, Afalalo. UK time, 1.05 p.m. Okay, I'll keep you. Uh, hi. How are you? How was your week? Uh, it was good. Uh, I apologize for not being here last week. I have uh, I have the little ones are home uh, before they start back in school next week. And uh, mm. as a result, sometimes it's not very easy to uh, nail down an hour of quiet time. No, there's no such thing as quiet time with kids in the house. That's my impression of anybody's life with children is just every so often you hear this the sound build up as they emerge closer to your room. Uh, whatever you might be hiding in the house at that point. Well, I, I, can, I can close the door, but the problem with that is that the aggression and energy just piles up outside that door. <laughs> so the moment I open it, it's like an explosion of childhood. Yes. Yeah. Sounds sounds delightful. Sean Priest, how was your week? <laughs> um, I don't know, no. No, my week was fantastic, thank you. The weather's had a turn. It's beautiful weather. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I have to, I, I, well, yeah, it has taken us. I, I have to announce here, guys, and I know this is not a climate-related program, um, although there's a lot of hot air that comes out of this show. Oh, well done. Um, oh. Well, you oh, see that. You see, well, thank, you. thank you. If I could find my applause, I would applaud myself. Um, you wrote no, that two it, weeks ago, by the way. I did, yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote it a long time ago than that, and I've used it three times since. Um, but no, I, I have found that uh, I think that the ice caps have indeed all melted. That's it. They're gone, guys. This is it. We're well, now at the, the point ice caps where the were anywhere finished. near Montreal, like I promise you they're gone by now. Yeah. It is roasting out there. And in fact, so here in my little uh, studio, my little back bedroom here at uh, Scott Towers, uh, it was 31 degrees in this room yesterday. 31. I'm so glad we weren't recording yesterday. To be fair, <laughs> be, I would be dead. The amount of computers and kit that's in there, it's that that's probably... I mean, in the dead of winter, it's probably 31 <laughs> degrees as well. Well, it's funny you say that because so last night I turned everything off because I thought I'll give it a fighting chance and also avoid the house from bursting into flames. And um, <laughs> I, I came to the conclusion this might be a good idea. So I turned everything off. Of course, bar the routers, because you know I need my internet, I right? Know, I'm not match. savage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I kept that on, but everything else was turned off. I came in, and the room had dropped by seven degrees. Wow. Right away overnight, that had happened. And that was with the windows closed. You know, so I'm, that sc- gives you, I'm scary to try that, to because I feel that everything has been on for so long that I if, I, if I turn it off, they'll never turn back on. This it's is, the computer yeah, thing, isn't it? Because yeah, especially if your computer's got you know umpteen USB devices connected to it, you turn it off. I've turned that Mac Mini of mine back on, and it's just it almost feels like it's looking at me, going, "What? There's so much connected. What do I start first? Uh, it doesn't know what to do with it. It just panics and just restarts about sixteen times until eventually it goes, oh, okay, right. I think I've got it now.' For me, it's I think it's my audio mixer. It's been on for uh, I mean eighteen months at this point. I have not turned it off. Daily use. I have a backup that is currently requiring some maintenance because it's not working. Um, but but I feel that if I turn this off in any way, shape, or form, it's not turning back on. So I need to, I need to, you know, bide my time. And of course, Sean, you're in a shed. Yes, I am. A windowless void. Yes. Made of wood. Yes. Um, as sheds often are. Uh, I mean, I'm no builder, but you know, I'm just well done. ruminating on that one. Um, 
you know, so is it ready to burst into flames at any given second? Well, I'm just checking. See, I was going to say, since I moved the computer out of here and switched to a laptop, I thought that's going to be cooler because I just thought it's the computer, even though it was just a Mac Mini. I thought it's going to be that that's going to be generating the heat. But I'm with Mark. I think it's the mixer um, mm. because, yeah, I leave that on constantly and, yeah, it does pump out some heat, but you don't really notice it. It's not like a computer fan, you know, whirring away at you. But, um, yeah, I wonder why there is climate change. See, as all three of us never turn it. <laughs> I wonder off. why. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> we yeah. we three are the cause of yeah. most of it. I think. I mean, Sorry. not all of it. I can't. We can't take all the blame. No. Um. You know, maybe maybe that's you know passing seven four seven adds to it. But you know, <laughs> with us combined, that's quite a lot of. Heat. I got to yeah. add, add a disclaimer here that I take no part in the blame for this climate change. <laughs> if you guys want to want to take part in it, then by all means. But uh, I am extremely eco friendly. Yes. I'm eco-friendly as well. I, I love the eco uh, and everything that comes with it. Um, no, so huge, Stephen, Stephen, huge Stephen, fan. Stephen, that's an echo. That's oh, an it's echo. the, oh, yeah, I see. It's, 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 echo. Yeah, it's yeah. the accent thing yeah. again. You see, yeah, it always throws me every you, time. But I do like the echo as well, yes. Uh, yes, I'm a huge fan of the echo, uh, and I love everything it does for me. Um, so, yes. Uh, but now, well, we've lost to talk about in the show this week. A big story, uh, which we're going to get into, about flick type. Uh, you might have heard the news on this, uh, which is an app on uh, the iOS App Store. Uh, the developers pulling it, and indeed the main feature of it, which is the keyboard, uh, which is a brilliant keyboard. I, you know, I must admit, I haven't really got you know sucked into the world of flick type. I know you did, Sean. You haven't lived. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing. I know you app. tell me about it. Friends tell me about it. They say how wonderful it is on the watch. It was brilliant. That was, I think, one of the reasons it became so popular. Right, was because it gave. A very accessible, easy-to-use keyboard on the watch. Well, I mean, just using it on the phone. Yes, it, it was great being able to type easily on that tiny screen of the watch. That was great. But, yeah, I didn't use it on there very often, I must admit. But on, just on the iPhone, it was so much quicker than the standard default Apple keyboard. It's it's just so good. But they're having so many issues with the App Store pr uh, procedure that they've given up. And it is... It's such a shame because it's an amazing app. Yeah, well, uh, Mark's going to get his uh, readers on and uh, go through this article with us uh, from The Verge, uh, which we've got in. Sorry, Mark, I know you were hoping to get asleep during this episode, but uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, also, uh, Sean is going to be telling us all about Apple Pay. This is all thanks to listener Tom uh, on Twitter, who got in touch to say, can Sean do a spot on using Apple Pay. Touchless payment is so much more important these days. Now, Sean, uh, you were tasked with homework. Did you do it? I did do it. Uh, the, what? The, the Hang on. You did? I did. But the problem is, is, is there enough time to put it in the show? Because as ever, I did get a little bit carried away with it. Because look, with any topic, right, no matter how simple it seems, once you start looking into it and going through every different option it, it gets away with me a little bit so um hang on yeah. so hang on right so you double tap the, the or you double press the button on the side of the phone oh, and that brings you. up the menu and yeah. then you just say uh, you know maybe it's like a face id or touch id yeah. uh, you, you do whatever it tells you yeah. to do and then you hold it up to the reader yeah. and it goes ping and that's it is that is that not it well, there you go. That, 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 hang on, that took me uh, ten seconds. Well, then you could. How long's your feature? How about? Well, maybe nine minutes. But I, I mean, I, I may cut it down. But like, no. What about setting it up? What about adding your card? What iPhone supports Apple Pay? Ah, well, that's do you a good know? question. Well, that's a good go. question. Well, mine. <laughs> that's all you care. About. <laughs> yes. No. It, it's um. It's actually quite interesting. I actually learned some stuff. It isn't just quite as simple as that. You learned something today. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. There you go. You can thank Tom. Yeah, quite right. Um, well, good. Good stuff. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, we're going to also uh, be getting your feedback as well. Do keep your feedback coming. Uh, you can uh, email us feedback at ami.ca or you can get in touch by leaving us a voicemail, 844-971-1999. That converse, uh, controversy and conversation. See, I did that in there. Well Make it look like oh, I didn't mean to spill on it, but I did. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, we're going to talk about flick type coming up and uh, lots more uh, stories as well coming your way here on Double Tap Canada this week. If you love Double Tap Canada, why not check out Double Tap TV with Stephen Scott and Marka Flalo every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. The latest tech news, hands-on reviews, exclusive interviews, accessible to all. Find out more at ami.ca slash Double Tap. This is Double Tap Canada. We'll be back in a moment. 
Hey, Double Tappers, want to get involved? Call the show now at 1-844-971-1999 or email feedback at ami.ca and have your say. This is Double Tap Canada. It's a tech show. Honest. Yeah, stop saying that. It's, it's not funny anymore. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk about flick type. <laughs> Neither are we. Well, yes, that's very true. Um, Lou, I want to get into this story this week because it is a big story uh, concerning the blind community uh, this week. Although in saying that, I do think this particular app could have been massive for anybody, frankly. I don't think it had to be um, just an app that was considered for blind people. Um, we're talking here about the FlickType keyboard, right? This is the FlickType keyboard, which a lot of people used. Sean, you know more about it than I do because you used this. You, you loved it. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, it allows you to just tap the screen where you think the letter would be. Um, you don't need to find time, you know, moving your finger around, waiting to voiceover to say S or whatever it may be. You simply tap uh, where you think the S should be on a standard QWERTY keyboard. And uh, it guesses what you're trying to type. And the magic behind it is the guess is almost, you know, perfect every time. It's uh, so quick to type um, when you can't see the screen. Honestly, I use it for so many things and it saves me so much time. And I am gutted by this. Mm. Well, uh, Mark's been looking at the article from The Verge for us this week. And uh, Mark, what's the problem here? Why why is it going away? Because that, that's what seems to be happening. Well, you see, they've had some history where Apple has been rejecting the app because it requires what they call full access to um, the device itself. Now, this is something that Apple has allowed in the past, and it's not a bit an issue, but uh, it's been rejected. A couple updates were rejected a couple of weeks ago, and they've tried reaching out to Apple. They say nine times in a week with no success. They feel like Apple's ignoring their attempts to contact them. And it's something that they've argued in the past and actually got past. And Apple said, yeah, no problem. You know, we've, we've understand your clarification and we're going to let it through. But now after the several rejections uh, over the exact same thing, they're just kind of giving up. They said Apple's just not responding to them and they feel that it's this final straw. Now, they've been this developer has been pretty vocal about other issues they've had um, you know, as a voiceover user. They've had a lot of problems in the past with different apps and different attempts and they're just tired of the process. Um, the, the one thing they did note is that the Apple Watch version is not really going away. That will exist um, in the FlickType app itself. So if you have that, you will be able to uh, continue to use that on the Apple Watch. It's just that they're not going to continue putting it out on, on the iOS devices themselves. So mm. that means that they're just going to kind of whittle away when it's no longer uh, no longer valid. Now, I'm saying earlier about this app being useful for anyone. I mean, this has actually been a very popular app, nearly half a million downloads here, Sean. So... Clearly, people want to use it. People are liking it. Yeah, that's all, um, that's all us Blindies doing that now. No, no <laughs> well, it probably maybe it is. Maybe it is. But, but, here, but here's the thing. Am I right in saying that you... Because when we were talking about this yesterday, you said that some of the apps you go into don't respect using this keyboard or don't let you no, use this keyboard. Right. Well, they'll let you use it, but it doesn't work correctly. VoiceOver will read out... Uh, instead of reading the word, it will just say space. Like the Apple Mail app, it doesn't work well in um there's there's a couple of others as well oh so nothing important then well yeah no exactly look because that's where you want it to work right you want it to work in messages you want it to work in because yep. let's be honest let, let, take this right back to basics the, the biggest issue blind people have with the iphone is getting text into it, it the, the iphone itself whether you're a touchscreen fan or not you can maybe work your way around it and we, we, i'm sure we'll get into conversation about this later about you know whether people prefer using touchscreens or not but the point is, those who do enjoy using the, the touchscreen can get used to using it, but text input is challenging. There are lots of ways to do it nowadays, of course, but you know, if you want to use the keyboard on screen, it is a challenge. Yeah. Do you find you guys using voice notes and using just uh, dictation to, not to type, but to send actual voice, your own voice to people in messages more and more these days? Yes, constantly. But, yeah. I mean, WhatsApp, for example, the WhatsApp group we have, we, we do that all the time, don't we, Sean? And, yeah. you know, that that works really well for us. Um, it's much easier. The, the thing about dictation is, of course, it's a bit hit and miss. That's one challenge. Well, everyone says that. Everyone, everyone I, I speak to says, "Oh, well, of course, dictation's gone downhill." I don't know what they did in the latest version, but I don't really have an issue with it. And I don't. You're not, you're not reading the messages back, clearly. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, obviously, you do get the odd obvious mistake, but it's not. It's not terrible. I mean, you know, ninety percent of the time, it's fine. I think if you speak clearly and concise and you're actually, you know, you know, you use proper intonation, 
it's going to be fairly accurate. But when you're on the so. go and there's noisy environments, it does tend to screw mm. things up. But and yeah, and, and if you've got a TV beside you or someone's talking next to you, or just you know, can air pick up their or conversation or other things that are going yeah, on. Yeah. But also sometimes it's just not appropriate to use absolutely uh, you know dictation. That's the other challenge, right? Sometimes you don't want to. I mean, for example, if you're sitting next to someone and you're trying to text someone to say, you know, please get me out of this conversation, it's probably not a good <laughs> idea to do that while you're standing next to the person you want away from. You know that, that kind of thing. And there's lots of examples. You could always there. ask for their help. I think it does it does help the situation uh, escalate a lot quicker. Okay. Well, you could just you could, well, ask them to type out. Yes, yeah. please. Could you could you, you send a message you tell to someone? My friend saying, here please to give me get a me away from you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you should do. That. Anyway, look. The point about touchscreen typing is it's fine, right? That the very fact that it's accessible still kind of blows my mind, right? And the Apple default keyboard is fine, but it comes when you're typing a lot of. I'm text. waiting for the email. It's 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 absolutely fine, but it's slow. When, you're, when you want to type a, anything more than a, a sentence, it is slow. And using FlickType, you can type at the same speed as a sighted touch typer. You know, it, it's great. But the thing is, there is a bit of history behind this as well, because when this was first released under the name, I think it was Flexi or FlexKey, um, that was a while ago, a good few years ago, it was released purely uh, to the visually impaired community as, as an uh, assistive app. Um, and I paid, I think it was $15 for it at the time to support its development, its ongoing development. And they they went off and uh, it was fantastic back then. But then they sold it and they dropped the accessibility. They sold it to a third party company and made it just a mainstream app uh, and dropped all accessibility. Now, that left a bad taste in the visually impaired community's mouth. So when they came back with Flick Type. And they they acknowledged they did uh, you know what they did wrong in the past, and they said this is it. We we are focusing on you and accessibility, and they have done. They've been really interactive, and it's there's two issues here. Firstly, the app store. I mean, is it fit for purpose? The amount of developers and apps that are going into there are can they possibly ever really review every app in there and say, you know, okay. Well, that's the problem. They you know, you can tell in certain instances that they haven't even opened the app to see how it works. Yes, absolutely. And this is one of the arguments with, with FlickType is that they say if Apple actually used the app, they would see that it works perfectly fine and doesn't actually violate anything that they're saying it violates. So how do you get them to actually open the app and use it? And what is their criteria? You know, what's their criteria for reviewing these apps? Yeah, you know, we should we should try and get the the developer on here because I, I'm intrigued by the view here of this guy because he kind of picks up on two points in this article on the Verge, uh, which we'll tweet out and, and you can read for yourself. But I, I find this really interesting because he talks about the fact that he believes Apple have created roadblocks to his keyboard, the Flick Type keyboard, in order to convince him to sell the technology to Apple for a discount. Um. Well, he says, all whilst, you know, scammy mobile keyboard apps flourish on the App Store. So, yeah. you know, what's, what's the complaint here? Is the complaint that it's, you know, that there are scam apps going through that are just getting past all the review processes and his is genuine and, and you know, is not getting through? Or is it that, you know, they just want to buy him out and, and you know, essentially take the keyboard on for themselves? What, what's the issue here? That's a conspiracy theory, and maybe there's some merit to it. I know a lot of people have been putting that theory forward, but I think it's far more likely that it's just the relationship and the communication between a developer and someone at the App Store, because he says he's brought this issue up before and it's been resolved. And then, of course, you'll submit an update and it'll get passed to someone else who doesn't know and they'll just go off the script and automatically reject it. And you, you're back at square one and it, it takes up time and it's just frustrating. I can, I can only imagine. But um, yeah, again, I think it brings up issues with the App Store. But also he mentions that the, <clears throat> excuse me, the third party keyboard API isn't fit for purpose either. He says it's clunky and all the third party keyboards have issues and that's because apple don't really care about third-party keyboards and again so there's two things here i think actually he brings up that are great points and that's his view right i mean i think we could all argue yes. that they do care about third-party keyboards because they allow the capability to build them now whether those tools are good enough or not that's for developers to, to answer that's yep. for, that obviously is a conversation between apple and the developers but i think we all agree that i would rather a bit more choice in that regard yes. 
But this I mean, it's been the case on Android for years. You could have different keyboards, different styles, different looks, all the rest of it. Yep, and I mean, it's key to accessibility as well, to have that choice. Mm. But also, let's not forget that this app was awarded the Accessibility Award by Apple, and it is in the accessibility <laughs> Well, that's, that's the weird thing about this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like they've they, hmm. Apple themselves, it's not like they aren't aware of it. You know, they've gone off and, yeah. you know, they've given it a pretty big award. And now we're at this point. Do you think this is going to resolve itself? I feel this is going to resolve itself. There's a lot of press out here on this. Yeah, I think some and of I know the Apple are getting a lot bring, of... Bring some, some rectification here. And, and Apple are getting a lot of stick at the moment, you know, especially around the recent news that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with, you know, the, the, the attempt to try and, you know, avoid child abuse images getting out there. Um, I'm still seeing a lot of people talking about this and, you know, more and more seem to be against it and, and what's going on. Mm. Um, again, the, the slippery slope argument keeps coming out and, you know, on, on we go, See, you know. So I, I think Apple got a lot of bad press at the moment. Maybe it's a case of what fire do we fight first? Well, but this is where we see how much they actually do listen to the visually impaired community because um, mm. there, I, I don't think there is a huge amount. I mean, it's hit the verge, which is quite good, and there's the odd story out there. But, I mean, nowhere near the weight of other Apple controversies out there. So I'd be really interested. But the thing for but me... But it's an accessibility story. It's never going to catch fire the way that well, other stories yeah, that's, do. Well, yeah, that's true. But then are Apple going to resolve it? Because it does seem, going off what the developer says, and currently we've only got one side of the story, that he does have a legitimate um, argument there. Well, we shall see. You can tell us your thoughts on it. I know lots of you have. In fact, I know Greg has been in touch already um, from Pennsylvania, ahead of uh, even us talking about it. Uh, he's uh, come up with some... Uh, in fact, I love the beginning of his email. He says, hello again, Tappers. I was planning on some consecutive weeks of not writing in, but sorry, it's not happening. <laughs> this is Greg in Pennsylvania. We love you, Greg. Thank you, Greg in Pennsylvania. First, a question. He says, does the controversy over flick type alter your views on big tech monopolies? Um, my main writing today, though, is actually about um, um, a bit my main for reason for writing today. Several weeks ago, you spoke about the upcoming Apple Watch monitoring of blood glucose monitoring and implied it would be non-invasive. But from what I'm reading, it requires small sensors under the skin. Have you knowledge of another technology? Now, there are other comments he makes, but let's go back to that point about flick type first. Does it alter your views on big tech monopolies? Now, I guess what uh, Greg is saying here is, you know, these little, little developers, you might say, right? Developers creating apps, doing their thing, and Apple coming along and sort of putting roadblocks in the way, potentially then going and buying up and, and, and buying up that technology. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we've answered that question, haven't we? I mean, you, you've made your point pretty clear on this, Mark. You think, yes, that's a good thing. I mean, and you're, do you think, based on what you've said before, that if Apple bought FlickType and built it in, that would be a good thing. Um, I don't think they would. It would get uh, the attention it needs to to grow the way it should. I think it would get lost in the Apple shuffle. I think there is a there is a major case here for third party developers who really have a single focus goal in mind and that's what they're doing and, and they're not diluted by anything else and i think they bring more to the table than if apple were to just buy it and use it as oh a third party keyboard or a first party keyboard at this point see i, I wonder I, mean, I i get where you're coming from with that and i would often agree wholeheartedly with that point but i often think yeah but also this particular example could benefit a lot of different people i mean i don't think this just benefits blind people i mean yes it is great for blind people no doubt at all um, but I think there's a lot of people who benefit from this. I love the, I mean, from my limited experience of using this keyboard, I loved how inaccurate you could be typing and yet how perfect it got it. Yeah. You could just literally throw your fingers around yes. the screen and it seemed to come up with what you were trying to type. How does that work? Yeah, it, was uh, it was brilliant. But you know, that is almost the perfect touchscreen keyboard in a lot of ways. I'm sorry, the, the, the relationship to big tech is if you believe that you know Apple are doing this deliberately in order to get their hands on this technology. And I don't believe that uh, because the, the way the default on-screen keyboard works is pretty much the same way. It does predict what key you're going to type next and make that touch area larger. It does predict the words you're trying to type. It does that in the background. If Apple wanted to make a flick type uh, clone and build it in, they could do that in-house themselves. I don't believe they want to buy the technology. I think it is purely just the way the App Store is run. Okay, that comment that Greg, or that question he asks about the Apple Watch and the monitoring of blood glucose monitoring and, and the implications that we've or the implications of it being non-invasive 
versus invasive. My understanding is this would not be invasive at all. Well, that was the whole point. This right? is all rumours, right? This is all predictions because yeah. that's they they will not release anything which is. I mean, Apple their own as part of the the Apple Watch. They won't release anything which is invasive. Anything that needs to go into the skin. I think the point was that when we talked about things like this, you mentioned the uh, product. I can't remember what it's called now that your dad uses, Stephen. Oh yeah, the uh, Freestyle Libra. Libra, which is the, the which is the one which connects. Well, he has to put it on his arm, but he has to put this very small needle into the arm so there is something has to sit under the skin yeah but when and we it talk- connects via nfc to to the phone app or indeed its own its own hardware yeah and now i don't see apple doing anything like that there is work going on and as i said at the time it's the holy grail to be able to monitor glucose without invasive uh, needles or whatever so yeah i don't think apple will do that no, I don't think so either. Um, okay, look, stick around because we've got lots more to talk about. Uh, we're going to get into uh, Apple Pay. Uh, Sean has done his homework. I mean, he, he's he's excelled, uh, I think, A-plus wow. uh, this week. Let's listen to Well, you know, seven minutes of uh, you going on about Apple Pay. Nine. It better be uh, nine <laughs> minutes. Come on. Could be 12, yeah. Okay, right. Well, we'll find out after this. <laughs> stick around. It's Double Tap Canada. This is Double Tap Canada. We'll be back in a moment. is Double Tap Canada. Have your say right now. Call or text 1-844-971-1999 or email feedback at ami.ca. Now, back to the show. Yeah, let's get back into it then. And Sean has done his homework this week, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, listener Tom got in touch on Twitter to say, can Sean do a spot on using Apple Pay? Touchless payment is so much more important these days. Well, you asked and Sean delivered. If I was to ask any of you for one word that would describe the last, let's say, 18 months, I think we all know what it would be. <clears throat> Careful now. Yep, that's right. Contactless. Contactless deliveries, contactless meetings, contactless everything. But today, I want to talk about contactless payments because they're not a new thing. They've been around for years. Contactless payment is just a quick and easy way to pay for goods or services without having to use actual physical money or having to remember your debit or credit card information and PIN code. You'll find there's so many places that allow you to pay contactlessly and I don't just mean the big stores. It's available in the small corner shops, it's available in buses, in taxis, in trains and even on some vending machines. It's so popular just because it's so convenient. Anyway, why am I talking about contactless payments? Well, someone emailed the show and wanted to know all about Apple Pay. So, here I am. Apple Pay is just a way to make contactless payments using your iPhone, or any Apple device for that matter. So let's do it. Let's set up Apple Pay. You can't touch this. Okay, firstly, what do you need in order to use Apple Pay? Well, when we're talking iPhones, you will need at least an iPhone 6 or above. And also, you'll need your bank to support Apple Pay in the first place. Now, most, if not all, major banks support Apple Pay. And if yours doesn't, you will be informed about that during the setup process, so don't worry about it too much. Okay, to set up Apple Pay, we need to use the Wallet app on your iPhone. So let's open that up. I'll just use Siri. Open Wallet. Wallet heading. Get started with Apple Pay. A photo contained in a credit card. Add a credit or debit card to Wallet. Add button. Pretty straightforward. You know what to do. Let's double tap on the Add button. Add loading. This next screen just gives you a little bit more information. I'm not going to go through it here, but feel free to if you want to. Let's just double tap on the continue button at the bottom of the screen. Continue button. Now this next screen is the important one, so let's swipe through. Camera viewfinder. Position your card in the frame. This is actually pretty cool. So you can just hold your card in front of your rear camera on your phone, and it will try and read all the information it needs automatically. Cool! We'll try that in a second. Let's just swipe on. Enter card details manually. Button. And if you can't get it to scan the details from your card automatically, then you can enter your card number, expiry date, and things like that manually by double tapping this button. 
But we don't want to do that. Let's try and scan our card. Now this uses OCR, so it actually tries to read the numbers and the letters on the front of your card. So firstly, make sure the card is facing you. Now I can tell this because the numbers and information is embossed on my card and I assume it's the same for every card out there, but I could be wrong. So I know which is the front and which is the back of my card. Okay, so here's how I do it. Firstly, make sure there's plenty of light. It's no good trying to do this in a dark room. I put my card on a flat surface, then place the rear camera of my iPhone directly on top of the card right in the middle. Then I just lift the iPhone away very slowly until it starts to recognize any details. Card number found. All card information, card details, heading. There you go. That was quick. So as soon as it finds all the information it needs, it will take you to the next screen. Let's take a look. Verify your card information. Name, Sean Priest. Text field. Correct. Let's swipe on. Card number. Oh, no, I'm not putting that out there. I love you, but not that much. So the only details here are your name and card number. In the top right corner, you'll find a next button. Let's double tap on that. Next button. On this next screen, it's looking for the expiry date and the security code for your card. Now, the expiry date should already be filled in. Expiry date 08-21. Security code 3 digits EVV. Text field. But sadly, at least here in the UK, the security code is on the rear of the card, so it doesn't scan that information. So yes, we are going to need sighted assistance. Ah, oh, we were doing so well. Anyway, once you've got it, enter it in, and again, double tap on the next button, top right. Next button. Contact in the card issuer. Terms and conditions. Heading. The next screen is the terms and conditions that are specific to your bank. Read them or not and then double tap on I agree in the bottom right corner. Toolbar, agree, button. Setting up card for Apple Pay, adding card, heading. Adding to wallet. Your card has been added to wallet. Hooray, we're done. Well, nearly, one last step. This next screen is asking you to verify your card. And to do this, it gives you two options. If you swipe through, you'll find. Select it, text message. Or. Call Barclays. Zero, three, four, five. Now, I'm going to use a text message to verify my card. It's already selected. So again, double tap on the next button, top right corner. Now, the good thing about iOS is that as soon as you get that text message through, it will automatically fill in the security code for you. You don't have to type anything. Perfect. Once that's done, click on next, top right corner. Card activated. Heading. Barclays debit is ready for Apple Pay. Boosh! You're done. We're now ready to make a contactless payment using Apple Pay. Ooh, so how do you actually use it? Well, not quite that, but it is easy. So when you're in the shop and you're ready to pay, firstly, ask, do you take contactless payments? As I said, the majority of them will. Then activate Apple Pay on your iPhone. Now, the way you do that is slightly different depending on if your iPhone has Face ID or one with a home button and Touch ID, but it's not too different. So in my case, I have an iPhone 11 with Face ID. And to bring up Apple Pay, I simply press the side button twice. Alert, Barclays, card number ends with 022, Face ID. Pay with passcode, button. So you'll hear there, it tells you which card you're going to pay with. You can add multiple cards to your Apple Pay wallet. And if you do, you can double tap on the card on this screen and select which one you want to use. But before we can actually pay, we need to verify that it's us. Because otherwise, anyone could just pick up your iPhone, double click the side button and pay for their own things. Terrible. So if I just face the phone towards me, it will recognize me through Face ID and I can make my payment. Now, if Face ID doesn't work or you're wearing a mask or whatever it may be, you'll see there's also an option to pay using a passcode. So you just enter your passcode and you'll be identified that way. Once your iPhone is sure it's you, you'll hear this. Hold near reader. Now just position your iPhone above the card reader. And yes, this is where the helpful, friendly shop assistant usually either guides your iPhone to where it needs to be or picks up the card reader itself and places it underneath your iPhone. God bless them. But either way, once you do that, you should hear a ting and then voiceover will announce 
Done. And you are done. You have paid. Now, if you're using an iPhone with a home button, it's even easier. When you want to pay, simply rest your finger on the home button. Don't press it, just rest your finger on it. Then hold your iPhone over the card reader. Touch ID will recognize your fingerprint and you'll pay. Easy. Oh, and if you do have multiple cards and you want to select a card to pay with, you can either hold your phone over the card reader without resting your finger on the home button to bring up the Apple Pay screen, or if your screen is locked, just double click the home button again to bring up the Apple Pay screen. Then just double tap on the card on the screen to select a different one. Phew, now I realize when I explain it like this, it does sound a little bit long-winded and complicated, but trust me, in the wild, in the real world, it's really quick and easy. Once you've added a card to your Apple Pay wallet, you can also use it to make payments inside of apps and websites, which obviously means you don't have to give away card details to third-party companies and services. You can also use Apple Pay on your Apple Watch. To do this, open the Watch app on your iPhone. Once you've added the card details, just double-click the side button on your Apple Watch and then hold it over the reader to pay. For Android fans, don't panic. You also have the ability to make contactless payments. There's Google Pay and Samsung Pay, which all basically do the same thing. Add your card details to your phone, and then you can use your phone to make contactless payments. So there you go. That is Apple Pay and contactless payments. I can't remember the last time I had to carry a wallet or cash around with me. Apple Pay is very secure, very quick, and very convenient. Why not give it a go? Well, thanks for that, Sean. That was probably the uh, best feature I've ever heard in my life. My life, too. Oh, my God. You're welcome. Wasn't that amazing, Mark? It was, uh, you know what? Mind blown. Mind completely blown. Can I just, for, for the sake of the show, also say, that was the worst feature I ever heard in my life. That was horrible. Mark, awful, wasn't my it? God. That was terrible. What? And probably, just for balance, that was okay. So what did you think, Mark? It wasn't okay. bad. It was okay. Whatever, yeah, it was all know. right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There we go. That covers all bit. We can't. We haven't heard it because the time the show is recorded. Yes. I asked Sean, could you get the feature ready for us so we can hear it? You know, we can listen in. Yeah. We can enjoy it. But he's yeah. still producing it as we speak. Oh, producing. Uh, so I like that. A little behind like the scenes action here, guys. This is what happens. Go. We can edit things. So I may not actually be here. I'm. I. I might not be here. No, none of us are really I'm here. I'm definitely are we? not going to be here. That's yeah. it. I'm out. I'm <laughs> out. Not anymore. Yeah. Exactly. You are done. Uh, well, listen, thanks for that, uh, Sean. Whatever that was, I'm sure it was brilliant. You're welcome. Um, there you go. Right, listen, just a quick mention on uh, a rather good news story I saw this week at CNIB announcing the opening of new smart life centres across Canada. This is brilliant. Uh, so CNIB, of course, is uh, the fantastic charity across Canada that supports blind and partially sighted people. And what they've done is they've created CNIB Smart Life, an interactive retail experience that gives people with disabilities of all ages hands-on access to the latest uh, assistive technologies, as well as the tried and true favourites, which is absolutely brilliant. And the key, the reason I think this is such a good story is because there are so many pieces of technology that are not the smartphones, that are not the general, you know, off-the-shelf tech you can try and best buy or get hands-on, you know, by buying it on Amazon and sending it back. Not that any of us do that, of course, but some of us might. Um, Stephen? I, I, yes, I do. Uh, probably more returns than purchases, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of kit out there that's quite hard to get hold of. And if you were thinking of buying yourself a Braille display, you probably aren't going to spend the money to just buy it, get it home and see what it's like. Uh, so I think that's this is great. You can actually go along. There's going to be, a f I think, I think there's an additional four. There's one in, where is it, Barry? Am I getting this right? I think I'm saying this right. There's going to be one in Barry. Yep. Uh, there's going to be uh, four other smart life centres uh, over the next few months, including locations in Vancouver, Montreal, Ottawa, and Brampton. We know the one we're sending Mark to to uh, do a Ooh, feature. Brampton, on. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so all that is uh, available. You can find out more at cnibsmartlife.ca, where you can actually order products uh, from the comfort of your own home, or you can find out about the uh, Smart Life Centres there, cnibsmartlife.ca. 
Ca. Stick around, lots more to talk about, including your feedback and uh, t- tons more, I'm sure, coming up. If on you love Double Tap Canada, Double why Tap not Canada. check out Double Tap TV <laughs> with Stephen Scott and Mark Aflalo every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. The latest tech news, hands-on reviews, exclusive interviews, accessible to all. Find out more at ami.ca slash Double Tap. This is Double Tap Canada. We'll be back in a moment. This is Double Tap Canada. Now, back to the show. Yeah, let's get back into it. And uh, Greg in Quebec has been in touch. Uh, we've got two Gregs and they're listening now. So uh, Greg 1, Greg 2. Uh, Greg 2 in Quebec. Uh, in the order of who's come along to the show. This Ooh, isn't risky. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It gets a bit tricky, doesn't it? <laughs> Thank goodness this is not social media. Or there would be an outcry. Uh, okay, so Greg in Quebec <laughs> says, I was listening to last week's podcast and heard Stephen's review of The Beats earbuds and his mention of lossless and spatial audio. Apple has made a big deal out of spatial audio, even offering up some audio demos to show off how cool it is. Yeah, we were talking about it last week. Uh, But is it that big of a deal? Will this only truly satisfy a true audiophile while the rest of us won't care? What are your thoughts? Do you know what? I'm going to go to Mark on this one because I think you're probably the biggest audiophile out of the three of us. I thought I was until I met you, but no, you definitely are. (laughs) I have a headphone problem. (laughs) Um, You know, a spatial audio is basically surround sound at the end of the day. That's, you know, if you want to equate it to what you're used to in life, it's your home theater, it's your 5.1, your your 7.1 surround sound, your movie theater type experience in a headphone. So, you know, if you're consuming media, if you're watching a a feature film or watching a TV show that has been mixed for 5.1 and that has that, you know, use of left, right, back, up top, you know, left, you know, every directional sound, then yeah, it it is something that is interesting because, you know, that's the way you consume your media. I think there's going to be a bigger play here when it comes to the use of sound bars and home theater systems with Apple TV. And that's when spatial audio really will kind of converge with surround sound and anything that we will be produced in spatial audio will be available kind of in that whole field of sound. So I think that while, you know, they're they're giving it this fancy name like they normally do, it really is something that we've been used to for a very long time. And quite honestly, audiophiles don't really care about surround sound, to be perfectly honest. Audiophiles really are more about the fidelity of the sound itself and the originality of it, or the, you know, as raw as as the original sound was intended to be heard. So when it comes to spatial audio or surround sound, um, sometimes it takes away from it, but sometimes it's done so brilliantly that it just, it works so seamlessly that you don't even realize it. But um, I have yet to experience, there was one example that I could think of uh, in terms of spatial audio or surround sound that really blew my mind. And there was this Eagles concert that was released years ago. And it made you feel like you were in the front row of this concert, looking up at the stage and there are people behind you, people all over the place. And it's something that translates extremely well to wearing headphones and using spatial audio. So, um, yeah, you know, it's something that I think will grow, but it's just another fancy name for something that I think we are already used to. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? Because you're... You're the exact opposite of Mark. You you would no. happily listen to a wasp in a jar and say, that sounds brilliant. Uh, and no, I'm referring no, there I'm... to the original Echo, uh, which sounded exactly like that. Your words, not mine. I'm saying the bar has lowered since Bluetooth speakers came along, single speakers, the bar has lowered. People will accept anything. But when it comes to spatial audio, I think it is uh, more of, like like Mark said, for movie consumption, absolutely fantastic. But... I'm not convinced. Does this ever work? Take let's take this away from Apple because I've seen other like gaming headsets which say they're the equivalent of 7.1 surround sound. Is that actually possible in headphones without the physical seven speakers around you? And we talk about Atmos and things like that. Is it ever possible to recreate surround sound in headphones? I mean, it is um, with multiple multiple drivers and speakers that are pointing in different directions in your head. It really, it's a game of panning, right? It's a game of panning the sound um, to give you this illusion of depth and field. And if done properly, I think that it can be done in headphones. And I think actually headphones are a good way to properly hear the stereo separation. And you can hear it almost better than you would out of speakers. Jake Peterson writes in Lifehacker this week, it's an article that uh, I picked up on, which said that Bluetooth headphones will never give you the best sound quality. 
And uh, Jake goes on to talk about you know the, the great Bluetooth headphones out there, like the AirPods Pro, uh, the Sony's, uh, the WF-1000XM4, which is a, a brilliant headphone. I've heard it myself. The Jabra Elite Active. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Bose. Um, you know, doing great stuff with the the over ear style, but um, yeah, it, it does seem to me, and, and I do wonder about this. You know, what what level of quality are you getting through these Bluetooth headsets? You know, when, when I started out in radio, everybody talked about WAV W A V files. You know, everything's got to be in WAV. If it's not in WAV, it's you know, it's just forget it. It's rubbish. And as soon as you get garbage, to MP3, yeah. it's just garbage. Uh, and you know, it's interesting. We see so many different file types and people probably don't understand what half of these things are like flack which is lossless audio um but you know what does that mean in reality and can you get that via bluetooth mark i mean is is that is it, it really to get the best experience you really need a pair of wired headphones which is what jake is saying here I agree with that. I think that, you know, some you know these digital connections um, uh, really do give you the most, the highest fidelity of sound. Um, also, over just a physical analog cable, I think you're getting a better quality of sound than over wireless and Bluetooth. They'll, they'll come, you know, it'll come into its own. I think Bluetooth itself will, will get better and better over time, and it has gotten better. The connections have gotten better, and everything's just overall a better quality of sound. But as long as you're doing things wirelessly, you're adding compression to the mix because it's trying to squeeze a lot of data over a wireless field that just doesn't, you know, have enough bandwidth for all that audio fidelity. Uh, going back to Greg One, uh, that's Greg from Pennsylvania, who uh, has come back with uh, more. I have to say, Greg is uh, he is ahead of the game this week. I mean, he is he is actually talking about things ahead of us talking about them. He's mentioned flick type. Uh, now he's talking about Sean's demos versus mine. And uh, Greg says, oh. I would like to say that while we all greatly appreciate Stephen's demos, they often seem off the cuff and a bit fly by the seat of the pants. Where do you get that idea, Greg? Honestly, where do you get these ideas? Uh, he says, however, while Sean's are brilliantly focused, concise, direct to the point, with entertainment value, he is truly a master of the craft. Oh, I have to agree. Greg. I have to agree. Sean really is truly the master of the craft. He is. Witchcraft. Yes. It's just he just he just wins. Yeah, witchcraft. He just wins. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> well, thank you, Greg. Much appreciated. Yeah, there's two reasons for that. One is I tend to do my features live. Um, and Sean takes eight oh, weeks to make one. Defending himself. It's, it's not about how quickly you get there. It's the journey itself, the quality oh, that's beautiful. of the journey. Oh, that's, I feel like sentimental music required here. Speaking of sentimental, uh, he talks about his sentimental geezer tech. Uh, we were talking about this over the past couple of weeks, stuff that we ha- have you know, still got hanging around in our lives. Uh, beyond, he says, my original AOL email address. Wow. Oh, my God. AOL. Uh, my uncle has his... <laughs> I used to love it. I remember that thing when you'd fire it up and it would take ages to start and then the window would appear and it would, welcome to AOL and you have email. Come on, I was talking about this yesterday where we had to take the phone off the hook and put it on the modem and hope that no one else picked up the phone. <laughs> oh, wow. ah, get off the phone, Stephen. I'm gonna, what's all this noise? You'd connect to CompuServe and oh, you'd, you'd, wow. you'd log in to get travel information all by text. Oh, God. He also says he has the first MS-DOS computer he built. He built... Oh, Around 1980, still running in the basement, as well as a health kit. Hope I'm writing this read. Health kit vacuum tube hi-fi amplifier that he built. <laughs> what? As a teen in the 1950s. Who are you, Greg? What? Do, do you? Is that, you know, I'm going to find out one week. We're going to find out that like, Greg built Apple or something. You know, we're going to find out this one week. You know, he was the guy behind Google or something. Um, and he says my uh, primary iPhone is still my 6s Plus with home button and headphone jack. Oh, 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 I'm with you on that one. And even the original battery chugging along fine. He says. Wow. wow, the battery is always the first That's thing to impressive. do. Give it three yeah. or five years and the battery starts well, to degrade. I'm amazed. I got the iPhone SE. I've been talking about the fact I got this iPhone SE. Everybody thinks I'm crazy buying a phone that's a year old, especially as Apple are about to announce new ones. But I love my Touch ID and I love this phone. The one thing I don't love about it, though, is the battery. It's terrible. Now, interestingly, I thought, and Sean and I had talked about this during the week, and he said, yeah, well, you know, it's the innards of a whatever iPhone Seven or eight or something. Eleven. Is that an eleven, is it an 11 in here? Right? Okay. I think so. Well, yeah. he said, "Well, that's the case." And now the battery, you know, rubbish. I, my iPhone Seven lasts longer than this thing. My iPhone Seven never dies, but this this iPhone SE just just dying all the oh, time. It's, it's, it's so you're saying more. the battery technology is getting worse? It's getting worse year on year. What? Hang on. What about compared to the 
uh, iPhone 12 mini. Uh, iPhone 12 mini was brilliant. It lasted for such a long time. Now, I will say, I think some of this mm. is psychological, right? Because I don't have a wireless as, as many wireless chargers around the house as I do MagSafe chargers. So if I'm in the, uh, this room sitting here, I would just tend to throw my phone onto the charger, not really aware of what the battery level is. Whereas this yes. thing's always living off the charger at the moment until I get myself a proper wireless charger in here. Because um, obviously I am in the process of going back in time. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. iPod Classic. Yeah, but I mean, yes, that's uh, isn't wireless charging amazing still? I know I know, Mark doesn't like it, but I think it's fantastic. It's just Mark, so you don't convenient. like wireless charging? It's slow. It's, it I mean, slow, yeah. I like the convenience of it. Um, I hate it in my car, but I mean, it, it is slow. I find it kind of antiquated, really. I got this little, I got this little headphone holder right for under the desk, and it's got three USBs in it. It's only for charging, and it is the best charger I've ever had because it just it sticks underneath the desk, and you can hang your headphones off it. But you know, it, you can plug in a USB, and I've got my little USB. I bought those little tiny, I don't know what you mean, six inches long cables. You plug it in, fire up the. I'm going to do that right now actually because this phone's dying. <laughs> it's so terrible. I'm going to plug it in as we speak. I've got too many cables. I don't need more cables. Just sitting it in a cradle or a dock. Is See, that, that's a lot of rubbish. Sorry. I mean, I don't mean to sound aggressive there, but that's a lot of rubbish <laughs> because you, you know, people say, oh, well, I love the wireless because you don't have any cables. Well, sorry, how does your wireless charger work? Does it just wirelessly charge itself? Yeah, no, no, off no, no the it's air? different. It's, it's all about cable management, right? Because you can set it up a little cradle there all wired away nicely. When you've just got a wire flapping around the place, I'm always standing on wires and they wrap around your ankles and trip you up. I don't like them. I'm against them. Okay, fine. Well, don't do that. That's the simplest solution. Thank there. you. Yes. Uh, also, okay. Greg uh, thinks it's funny when we act like we're old. He says, you have a long way to go yet. Oh, He's thank got a you. Point. Thanks, so nice. Greg. Aww, so nice. I love so Greg. Nice. You are so young. I bet. Now, when was the last time you were told you were young, Mark? Uh, that long, uh, eh? Moving wow. on. <laughs> it was that long ago. That's it for our show this week. Thank you so much for getting in touch and sharing your thoughts. Keep your uh, opinions coming. Leave us a voicemail if you want to do that. Wait, stop the presses. What? Our town hall, our last oh. town hall, right now. If you're listening to the show live, then 9, 8, 9 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Town hall, listen. And watch. And watch. <laughs> yes, that too. Tune in. AMI-TV, absolutely. Uh, okay, yeah, all the details of everything we do here at AMI you can find on the website, ami.ca. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Double Tap Canada. And, of course, you can get in touch, feedback at ami.ca, or contact us on the phone, leave us a voicemail, 844-971-1999. Till next week, guys, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening, and keep your feedback coming. Call 1-844-971-1999 and leave us a voicemail. Email feedback at ami.ca. We're also on Twitter, at Double Tap Canada, and on Facebook. Can't wait till next week? Ask your smart speaker to play Double Tap Canada or listen on the podcast app of your choice. Thanks for listening. Catch you again next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.